welcome back to the Oklahoma Today podcast, bringing you all the best our state has to offer. We're talking with curator Michael Grower at the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City about the new and extremely fun exhibit, Playing Cowboy, which you should 100% make plans to go and see right away. But before that, let's get into our overly topical question of the week. What was your favorite toy as a child? First up, Editor-in-Chief Nathan Gunner. My own imagination. Um, that's actually a joke, but it really, it really was. Like, uh, I had a lot of cool toys when I was a kid, like Transformers and G.I. Joes, but like, none of it was any fun unless you could find something for them to do, right? So like, most of my childhood memories as far as playing are like, I'm going to be Snake Eyes and you be Optimus Prime and now we're going to go save Princess Zelda or whatever. Like, you know, like you would like mash all your various childhood things into one game and just go like pretend that. Those are my, that's my favorite. So right. seriously, imagination is my favorite. That's no. such a cheesy answer, but whatever. <laughs> uh, managing editor Carly Ibarra. Uh, well, I was a young child in the early 90s, so Beanie Babies were definitely my favorite. Mm. I had so many of them. I made zoos with them. I would do performances, and they would watch me. Wow. And I have a very clear memory of telling one of my good friends, like, well, if I just could, if I could just get a hold of that Princess Diana bear, I mean, I would just pass <laughs> out. I would be so happy. I could just die. Because <laughs> I've always had a flair for the dramatic, apparently. Princess <laughs> Diana bear? Would, uh, wow. Was she still alive? No, day? this was after um, she yeah. passed away. It was Yes, it was a purple. I still remember it was a purple bear that had like a white rose on it. It was a it was a very pretty wow. beanie baby, but it was still just a beanie baby. Yeah, I'm sure it cost more than fifteen cents to I produce. People hijacked the McDonald's trucks that had you know when they started doing beanie babies. The teeny beanies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Wow. It was intense. That's amazing. They were popular. A lot of people really loved those sacks of. Spider Long eggs. Filled <laughs> yeah. with beans. Uh, photo editor Megan Rossman. Um, I loved all sorts of sparkly plastic things uh, as a child, primarily, but My Little Ponies were one of my favorites. I had, I had tons of My Little Ponies and little castles for them and mm. accessories and leg warmers and things. Wow. Um, I was, yeah. Leg I warmers, a, huh? Plastic yeah. legs wow. get cold fast. <laughs> yeah, I had a, I had a My Little Pony Kingdom, so. Wow. And then, of course, you know, Barbie, lots of Barbie, uh, lots of horse stuff. Like, mm. I, I really liked horses when I was little. By the way, the name of the uh, My Little Pony's Kingdom is Equestria. That's, uh. Wow, I think you just uh, answered every the trivia question for this week. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, spoiler. <laughs> Research editor Ben Lucian. It's got to be the Fisher Price Castle set. Are we familiar with that? Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, I, me and my brother played so many hours, not just with that, but so the. Sorry, I have allergies, so my voice is a little here and there. Uh, my brother and I not only had the castle set, but. Uh, Lesser known is the pirate set and the Wild West Town. And each one had their own, like, figurines. And we just spent so many hours going wow. crazy with that. That sounds fun. Mm-hmm. That's like um, matchbox cars were always really fun, right? Like, you could just, yes. like, get down on the ground and play cars. Yes, yeah. my brother was a big in the Hot Wheels. We still have a lot Our of Hot, Hot Wheels. Wheels. Yeah, totally fun. Totally fun. What about you, Greg? Well, um... I guess I could have said my imagination because our answers are otherwise very similar. I was all about those G.I. Joes, baby. 
they were pretty great. GI mm-hmm. Joes, a smattering of like DC and Marvel heroes, mm-hmm. um, some maybe some Star Wars. I just mixed them all up, and then I would set up these elaborate battles totally. in my room. Yeah, uh, I had a, a like a wooden block set. I think it was maybe my dad's, uh, and I would just build sets and have them i mean epic tales of betrayal and loss and heroism and lasers wow Um, it's like shakespeare at your house (laughs) yes yeah uh was there a toy that you wanted and it still hurts that you didn't get teddy ruxpin teddy ruxpin okay that's a good answer i think it was a little creepy it was i might have told this on the podcast before but uh I wanted a uh, Mr. Potato Head really bad right oh. after Toy Story came out, and uh, yep. that was the one year you couldn't find a Mr. Potato Head in stores. That's a shame. So uh, my grandfather got me a uh, a felt Mr. Potato Head, oh. which was very sweet of him, and it was the only thing I could find, but I wasn't as appreciative as I should have been. Well, kids never are. No. They never are. What about Megan? You sat up when I asked that question. What was your... Oh, I was thinking about Jem. I wanted the gem doll with the flashing earrings, but my mom got me one that was like an off-brand gem, and she... An edge. It was a jewel. (laughs) She was, yeah, she was about a head taller than all the other Barbies, and her feet were like four times as big, and... Jem was taller and bigger than than Barbies. Because my babysitter's really? daughter had one, yeah, and she was like, like "Well, Barbie I never was, saw one in person." Yeah, so. Jem was yeah. truly outrageous. Jem was truly outrageous. <laughs> she was much bigger and much taller than all the other Barbies were. Yeah, I, uh, I you know, I, he said in a manly way, like knowing that. <laughs> I I wanted all of the. Uh, do you guys remember Mask? Oh, oh we still. Brian had Mask. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah yes. We had the like for a long time. Uh, we had a little. Yeah, we had one, and we had a name for him, but I'm not sure if it's polite, so I'm not going to say okay, it. Yeah, we'll leave that. We'll leave that for off. But off he was a ma- he was a mask character that we just had for many many what did years. That, that stood like, for something mobile something oh, strike, strike command, command because command didn't start with a. My brother um, would know. It was it yeah. was Transformers plus GI Joes basically, except yeah. the GI except the people figures were like really. They didn't have joints so much. It was oh, just like, yeah. you know, and then they had a little mask that could go on and off. But oh, that's cool. Yeah, I just I was all about that. I wanted the um, I wanted the giant truck that could like transform. I don't know what it was going to transform into. Probably like a, a robot. rocket launcher or something. Oh, yeah. Who's the the little guy they wrote? He was like a little trash can. I, he, but was, he, trans- uh, he was he their was their R two D two ripoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Everything about that show was a giant ripoff, but it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was so much fun. But what made me think of the question? You said GI Joe's, and I always wanted a Snake Eyes. Oh yeah. And I yeah. never had yeah. Snake Eyes, and it still stings a little bit. Um, when I was seven, my the Transformers movie had come out, and I got Rodimus Prime for Christmas. And my brother broke it. Like the first day back at school, we were on the school bus, and I had my brand new shiny Rodimus Prime, and my brother broke it, like irreparably. And I still, I haven't completely forgiven him for it. I love you, John, <laughs> but I haven't completely forgiven you. And happy that. birthday. And ha- <laughs> that's my other brother. But yeah, uh, we got some we got some decent answers uh, this week. Uh, Ginger Lynette said that for her, uh, it was a doll named Julie. Oh, Julie. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I had, uh, what, do you guys have like stuffed animals? And I still have, mm-hmm. I still have several of mine. I, I, had, I had Schnookums and uh, Henry the dog. Okay. And, uh, I have Alaska yeah. the bear. Okay. 
I had Tippy the dog, who is still sitting in my office next to Bronte the, Bronos- the Brontosaurus. Um, and Bronte is blind because the paint on his eyes has long <laughs> since rubbed off. He looks like he has cataract. <laughs> Sad and hilarious. Did I cause another awkward pause on yeah. the podcast? Sorry. Uh, artist Kelly Pennington uh, kept it very on brand with her answer, crayons. Uh, that's a good one. And I, that's, that's that was I a favorite for me, those. too. Crayons and colored pencils. Oh, yeah. Yeah, huge favorite toy. Uh, Stephen Little was a Legos fan, and again, I still play with Legos yep. sometime. Uh, th- I mean, that's why you have kids, right? So you can continue playing with toys. I don't have any children, and Brian's Christmas present definitely was a, a a giant Lego set. Was it I, was the Death Star? No, oh. it was the Super Nintendo. Uh, it was the Nintendo Entertainment oh. System with the TV that scrolls, and you can actually like not really play, but yeah. like make it look like you're playing a level of Super Mario <laughs> Brothers. It took him. He only finished putting it together like last week, at the end of March. So uh, Barbara Dalton said, "I loved Light Bright and my Easy Bake Oven and cake mixes, which is all good another, yeah. answers. Really I, fun. We never had a Light Bright, but I remember every time I went over to somebody's house and they had one, I was like, I'm going to commandeer this thing. I'm going to make a masterpiece. And by yeah. the end, it, you couldn't tell what anything was. <laughs> uh, let's see. We also had uh, Carolyn McBee Boyer uh, was a big fan of Jacks. Uh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Francis Brandon Frissinger uh, went really old school with Lincoln Logs and bottle caps. That's that's really good. Yeah. That's really good. Is she talking about um, like actual bottle caps or like a toy that is called bottle caps? Or bottle good rockets. Question. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the way, I mean, Lincoln in Lincoln Logs was capitalized, but bottle caps wasn't. So oh, I'm just okay. going to guess she meant regular old bottle caps. I think any of the building toys were always did you, fun. Did you have a least favorite toy? Because mine was Perfection. Oh, I hated I perfection. I hated <laughs> Operation. The Sa- game. For the it's same reason. Stressful. It's very nerve-wracking. It, yeah, yeah it's I would play it, but I would take the batteries out so that it wouldn't <laughs> buzz at me because it scared me. <laughs> I would do that with perfection. <laughs> the worst was uh, I, if you got a video game and it was because you oh, didn't know you always felt bad when they spent money on a video game and it, it was, was terrible terrible yeah. and then you would just uh, so you the, the so Top sorry. Gun video game uh, I could oh, never land that so jet bad. and no. so it was like I was always stuck on basically level one yeah <laughs> which it is, was so bad at some point you just stop playing yeah uh, all right. Well, speaking of toys, let's talk to uh, curator Michael Grauer at the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum about playing cowboy. And now we are extremely pleased to welcome in Mr. Michael Grauer, who is the McCaslin Chair of Cowboy Culture and Curator of Cowboy Collections and Western Art at the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum here in Oklahoma City. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Howdy. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, I am so excited to talk to you because uh, I got to uh, I, I got to take part in a tour that you gave of uh, this exhibit at the Cowboy right now called Playing Cowboy. Uh, for, for listeners, please tell us a little bit about uh, about the exhibit and how it came about. Um, it, it's a it's an exhibition of vintage Western toys that we borrowed from. Johnny, the Johnny and Bob Terry family of Springtown, Texas. Um, they're actors, musicians, uh, music store owners, vintage toy collectors and sellers, and they also manufacture uh, die-cast uh, cap guns as well as plastic injected injection mold-made uh, uh, Western figures. Bob also runs uh, a YouTube channel uh, called the Westerns Channel. Um, and also has multiple programs. He, he and Johnny are also part of Red Stegall's team 
um, for the Somewhere West of Wall Street series. So they're multifaceted, multi-talented, um, but we borrowed a portion of their Western vintage Western toy collection for this exhibition called Playing Cowboy. Uh, you know, one thing that that really struck me, and you had mentioned this on the tour, is that so much of the, so many of the characters that um, that were very popular in dime novels, in in TV shows and movies, were not actually cowboys. Right. Uh, the cowboys were were not the lawmen. Right. There, there's a there's a great deal of misconception and mythology and conflation about what a cowboy actually was and did. And this really starts with uh, uh, literature in the uh, fictional literature in the 1870s and 80s, what we've come to call dime novels, where um, alleged cowboy exploits are exaggerated into tales of daring do or rescues. Uh, and oftentimes they're, they're Old West um, characters like Kit Carson and Buffalo Bill, who are never cowboys. But nevertheless, a man in a Western hat suddenly becomes a <laughs> symbol for all these things. And so you have um, heroes, you have outlaws, you have lawmen uh, who eventually people across the world come to understand are cowboys when, in fact, that's not who cowboys uh, really were and are. Yeah, well, I mean, even in the movie uh, Tombstone, I remember uh, watching it and being like, wait, the cowboys are the bad guys? I was right. a, a bit shocking to me. Right, and and actually... Historically speaking, the bad guys in that movie were called the Cowboys. Most of them had come out of Texas, and they were all criminals. So they may have cowboyed and done cow and horse work at one time, but they were far better at stealing horses and stealing cows, um, murdering people and committing all kinds of mayhem than they were at actually being cowboyed. Yeah. Well, um, you know, the uh, the exhibition opens with a very familiar sight uh um which uh i i really love and it's one of those mechanical horses uh, uh that you used to find out, out in front of uh, supermarkets that's um, exactly yeah and, and that's something the kids can ride too i was very disappointed that i was too tall for that ride <laughs> well you know in, in today in, in today's world where museums are expected to have interactives it's wonderful that we can actually have a vintage interactive with that coin operated horse called champion which, as you say, a, a type of that uh, that horse was in virtually in front of it, virtually every every grocery store, every department store. Sometimes it was a spaceship. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it was a little miniature train. But for the most part, they were horses. Um, oftentimes they were endorsement toys with either Gene Autry or Roy Rogers or some other Western star. But, you know, all, all of us remember begging our parents for a quarter out of the coin purse to ride the horse and be a cowboy for the for the next two or three minutes yeah yeah absolutely uh and then um you know the first room that we went into uh is really i think um a great idea from you guys about uh leading people into this historical uh genre through kind of the most recent uh big pop culture uh, uh, um, adjacent to it, which was uh, uh, the Toy Story films and, and Woody and um, and uh, Jesse. Well, it just it just turned it, it just so happens that Bob Terry actually played uh, Sheriff Woody for Radio Disney and would make appearances um, all over the all over the country as Sheriff Woody and in partnership with a woman from Fort Worth named Devin Dawson, who's a who's a singer today who still appears as Jesse the Leodling Cowgirl. And we have, as part of the installation, their costumes. So we have Woody and Jesse's costumes from real life 
uh, actors who played them, as well as reminding people that Woody was actually part of a fictional TV marionette, Western marionette show. Um, and we have one of the little marionettes to introduce you to the to the rest of the exhibition. So we felt like um, because most of these vintage toys, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, we're not going to be familiar with today's youngsters, but they do know Toy Story. Yeah. And 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 much like that that incredible span of decades where Western, especially cowboy stuff, um, saturated the world. Uh, Toy Story did the same thing. Oh yeah. Beginning in the in the mid 90s, and especially for our purposes the introduction of Woody's Roundup in Toy Story 2. And that's where we we launched uh, with the exhibition. Yeah. You know, one thing that um, I was really taken with was uh, it wasn't just memorabilia um, in, the, in the sense of like things that people went out specifically to get, but, but these were characters that were used in all sorts of different, uh, you know, you had a McDonald's, I think a Happy Meal bag there yep. uh, uh, with Toy Story on it with, with Woody. Yeah, this the the really it, it truly was an avalanche of products and product placement, endorsement toys, and endorsement figures in 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 virtually everything as promotional items. And as you say, it was in Dixie cups, it was in toothpaste, it was in cereal. Oh, uh, yeah. toys, Woody was Woody and Jesse and Woody's horse uh, Bullseye were and you know the uh, stinky pete the prospector you know all the characters from uh from woody's roundup um were in everything not just toys themselves but promotional items for any kind of product you can think of oh yeah well now and uh, further on in the exhibition there were some things that uh that maybe today's kids aren't gonna immediately recognize but a lot of it uh i think hits the the adult uh collector uh <laughs> right in the right in the fields uh the board game room was fascinating to me uh because that was not really a genre that i had ever thought of as being affected by cowboys well you know toy toy makers did their level best to capitalize <laughs> on the obsession with cowboys and produce toys for all kinds of environments and all kinds of situations and board games used to be a huge thing now i, I know gaming is today a huge thing and there are board, uh, a, a new iteration of board games um, but they were a huge part of the toy industry um, from the 30s onward and we have for example in that exhibition section we kind of divide it into what i call side chapels depending on the type of cho uh, toy and so the board game chapel um, um, begins with one of the earliest which is for uh, uh, a movie called the big trail from 1930, yeah. which was a critical flop, but it was also the introduction of John Wayne as a movie star. Um, he kind of faded away after for a few years until he re, he reemerged as the star of the movie Stagecoach. But we have the Big Trail board game, um, and subsequent board games for virtually every television show, Western television show, of which by I think 19. 58 or 1959 there were 47 westerns on weekly television um and remember this is in days where only three channels so that means it was full-on saturation so they're board games for every tv show virtually every film and sometimes they're just rinse uh, rent, wash rinse repeat um and they're pretty straightforward and so using that that uh, that theme our, our our crack marketing team here decided 
to turn the entire museum into a board game itself. It is, it, you guys have really done so much great work there at the Cowboy, uh, opening it up to everybody. I mean, uh, for art collectors, I think it is a wonderful place to visit, especially uh, when you have Pre to West going on. Uh, but but for kids, the the uh, uh, the uh, Junction, uh, the Lichenko, um, and and these exhibits really do uh, capture, I think, those kids' imaginations and 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 help urge them on through the museum. I, I really do. I love all the thought that went into it too. The way that the uh, the stand up uh, characters in front, the little the spin wheel to choose your character and your tool. I thought it was really great. Really great. Well, our, our theme with these, and there's the uh, Playing Cowboys, one of three exhibitions. Uh, the 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 lead-in is actually an installation on the uh, the Oregon Trail video game. Yes. Uh, that, that exhibition is called "You Have Died of Dysentery," um, which uh, not a game I necessarily played, but apparently it resonates with some of the younger. Oh folks. yeah. <laughs> and then and then we have another installation on um, on cartoons, Western cartoons from our Dickinson Research Center. So we wanted to make the whole museum about fun, that playing playing Western, playing cowboy uh, was always based in fun. Um, and and it's been a huge success. Oh, um, yeah. You know, huge crowds coming in and enjoying it. And, and one of the things I like to say to people is when you come see playing cowboy, you'll see things that are little miniature time machines. Mm -hmm. They'll take you back to a, a younger and innocent, more innocent time um, and I've seen it from whether the kid is seven or 70. Um, that happens every time they come in. Uh, you were absolutely, you were talking a little bit about the, uh, about some older uh, visitors who came and wanted to handle the cap guns and immediately started doing the, you know, spinning around. And, and I, I mean, I can't, I can't argue. I, I would do the same thing. I, I couldn't help it. Yeah. Bob Terry tells the story about when they, when they had to, their vintage Western toy store and music store down in Azle, Texas, um, that a gentleman came in and asked to see Bob's son's uh, cat pistol. And the man went into the whole spinning routine um, and just really transformed into a little kid, um, maybe a 50, 60 year old man. And then when he realized what he was doing, um, he kind of sheepishly handed the cap gun back and said, yeah, I used to have one of those. And, uh, you know, that's what happens every single time when, when people are standing in front of these exhibit cases and seeing the toy or a toy that's similar to one they played with. They, 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 they literally are time machines. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think that's true for so many things. Uh, I, my dad was a Vietnam veteran, and I remember we went to an air show. And as we're walking up, he sees a, a, a mortar. Um, uh, the, uh, the, and, and there's a guy, you know, talking with him and he, my dad's over there just like pulling levers and pushing this and that in. And it's just, it becomes second nature and you don't yeah. necessarily realize how much these things have affected you and, and right. the impact they've had on your life. And, and so you're, you're absolutely right. That playing cowboy, uh, is, is chock full of it. Absolutely. It becomes part of a, a, a person's human fabric. Oh, absolutely. You know, that, yeah. Uh, the comic book section, I was really fascinated by. And one thing that that uh, that struck me was we often think about cowboy uh, uh, culture as very action oriented, but they're also they they had a, they had a Gabby Hayes comic book, yeah. uh, which was you know very comedy oriented. Well, you know the publishers, much like the toy manufacturers, got in on the game as I said before in the latter part of the nineteenth century. 
and any character, even a spinoff character or a sidekick, which Gabby Hayes was for multiple actors in multiple Western films and TV shows, if they could find an angle that they thought would sell more comic books, they're going to use it. Yeah. And so generally Gabby was a sidekick for either Hopalong Cassidy or Roy Rogers occasionally for Gene Autry. But the, the phenomenon of comic books has kind of had a resurgence in the last few years, along with the graphic novel, uh, which is basically a, a new new iteration of the dime novel yeah. from the 1870s. But I, in talking with uh, Roy Rogers Jr., who's known as Dusty, um, his father sold 2 million comic books a week. Um, that's a pretty phenomenal amount. Now, this is in the 1940s and 50s. Yeah. Um, so the the uh, there were sort of tidal waves within the tidal wave of, of Western popular culture. And uh, comic books really led the way and reached corners that perhaps a, a, a Western toy proper couldn't. Um, sometimes getting even getting behind the Iron Curtain, for example. Yeah. You know, one thing uh, towards the end of the exhibit that really struck me, uh, you have a section there about... Um, non uh, non cowboy products that have co-opted uh the cowboy image uh twinkie the kid uh mm -hmm. you know things like that uh tell me a little bit about how uh, you know was, was that a wide-reaching phenomenon it was and and one of the things i will i will remind people is in the exhibition this is just a fraction i mean this is just a snapshot of that phenomenon and it truly was a stampede of products much like the Toy Story products we talked about before, promotional products. So the uh, the other characters in our section we call Everyone's Playing Cowboy. I mean, it's Dennis the Menace selling rug shampoo, drug dressed as a cowboy. Fred Flintstone riding a bucking brontosaurus. Um, cowboy, obviously, you mentioned Twinkie the Kid. Um, um, uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Tweety. There's Tweety Bird dressed as a cowboy and then of course you have um, uh, western films animated films like uh Fievel, who we we were introduced to in, a, in an american tale and then the sequel of course is called Fievel goes west where he dreams of being a cowboy and the family moves out west an immigrant jewish family uh, moves out west and he experiences western culture for the first time so all of that's wrapped up in there because everyone was trying to get in on the phenomenon and literally ride the wave Man. Well, uh, folks, you really, really do need to get over to uh, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum. Uh, it, it's never a bad time to go visit, but you should definitely get there before May 7th if you want to see uh, Playing Cowboy, uh, which I highly recommend. It was so much fun. And uh, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, uh, I really I look forward to seeing what the what, what your next exhibition is going to be, because, uh, you know, you got me hooked on this. Well, excellent. Well, much obliged for having me on and and y'all come play cowboy with us. We'll, we'll do. I love that museum. Yes. That's such a that's like one of the best places in Oklahoma. Yeah. And and yeah. uh seriously, like the way that they have set this up, it's so kid friendly. Like the entire museum they've turned it into a board game. Hmm. Um just so much fun for for really everybody. And then the, it hits the nostalgia button super hard. I mean, I don't know anybody who could go in there and not associate with something okay. uh, in that exhibit. It's pretty awesome. Awesome. The board game's not Monopoly, is it? Because I don't have any money. <laughs> no. The, okay. Uh, okay. Let's see. The board game, the, the one that really I was so surprised by was called, uh, <laughs> it was called The Big Trail, oh. which was which was uh, a game supposedly to go along with a movie, like oh. John Wayne's first cowboy movie. It oh, was a wow. critical flop. Uh, but 
that was the basis for the video game The Oregon Trail. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Many of us died of dysentery as elementary school students. And, and you can and you can examine more of that in the exhibit right outside playing cowboy. You have died of dysentery. <laughs> nice. Uh, not kidding. That's nice. uh, it's all about cowboy video games. Oh, so, dysentery. Uh, <laughs> all right. It is now time for us to once again plumb the depths of TravelOK.com's <laughs> calendar for our weekly podvents. And first up this week is Ben. Well, as you couldn't tell from by my noticeably stuffy demeanor, spring has arrived. With the assistance of a prescription strength antihistamine, this is the perfect time to embrace freshness and new beginnings. After even a little spring cleaning, it can feel like a new lease on life itself. But if you get a little too carried away with your Marie condoing and notice the door to your guest bedroom out on the curb come big trash day, <laughs> never fear. Chester Spring Festival is here. The event is the perfect place to restock on lovely new things once you've cleared out all the grubby old things. This annual community festival in the northwest Oklahoma town of Chester, just a short drive north of Sealing, is the perfect place to procure garden decorations, windows, doors, arts and crafts, jewelry, clothing, antiques, and much more. Kids who attend can enjoy train rides, a bouncy house, tractor rides, and face painting. If you've got a good shot, the Department of Wildlife will be organizing an archery shootout. I'm told it's only a one-way shootout, but uh, message your concerns to the Department of Wildlife Twitter account, and they'll set you straight. <laughs> Once you're done playing Robin Hood, treat yourself to a Dutch oven lunch and a fresh funnel cake. The festival is 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. this Saturday, and admission is free. For more information, call 580-554-1350 or visit facebook.com slash Chester Community Events. That sounds like fun. A Dutch oven, huh? That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm more interested in pairing an archery shootout and a bouncy house. That seems <laughs> that sounds like a recipe for hilarity. <laughs> uh, Nate, what's your event? Um, man, it all goes back to like you. Guys, I'm sure people say this to you guys all the time, but like you tell someone what you do for a living, and like, oh, that sounds like fun. And all you can think is sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's very fun. It's also very weird. Like later today, I'm going to take an entire copy of our May-June issue. I'm going to sit with it with a checklist that is so mind-numbing and, it t- and forever taking that I am going to become convinced that my brain is just like riddled with cancer. Um, but then sometimes I get to go do uh, like cool stuff like drive to Atoka and watch Reba perform an acoustic set for like 200 people. So that like, you know. It's a mixed bag. Um, and sometimes I spend 10 minutes reading the Wikipedia entry for sidewalk chalk, and here's what I've learned. Sidewalk chalk is different from blackboard chalk in several important ways. You can get 3D sidewalk – I'm not going to enumerate what the ways are. You can get 3D sidewalk chalk sets that require special glasses to look at, like a 3D film. Uh, and some teachers use sidewalk chalk on carpet – as a teaching tool, which I did not know. This has been Nate Gunner, your guide to the world of facts. Alaska is the biggest state. Snakes live everywhere, even in your own backyard. Sorry, I got carried away with facts. Uh, Anyway, if you want to see what kind of magic sidewalk chalk really can do, get yourself to Chickasha on Thursday, April 6th, for the Montmartre Chalk Art Festival. That is hard to say. Montmartre. French word, Chalk Art Festival at the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma, where artists of all ages will scratch out some truly stunning and temporary works of art on sidewalks all over campus. 
It's a part of the same weekend that includes the Droverstock Music Festival, and food booths and vendors will be available for when you need a break from beholding all the temporary gorgeousness. For more information, call 405-574-1302 or visit usao.edu. I like sidewalk chalk art because you might be one of the only people to ever see it. That's true. Like, that's kind of cool to me. So, yeah. uh, Megan, what's your event? For nearly 100 years, visitors have been traveling to the holy city of the Wichita's for what your dad might say is a performance of biblical proportions. Yeah. The tradition continues with this year's 98th Prince of Peace Easter Passion Play, which is said to be the longest running in the nation. If you've ever been to the Wichita Mountains Wildlife Refuge near Lawton, you may have noticed that it looks like a place where Jesus would live. So it's fitting that there's a 66-acre spread of granite buildings that include the Lord's Supper Building, Herod's Court, Pilate's Judgment Hall, a modern chapel, and several other monuments that have been erected over the years. It's also a popular wedding location, but there will be none of those on April 8th because this is the Lord's special day, not yours, Maddie, and thousands will make the <laughs> pilgrimage to celebrate it for free, although donations are appreciated. It will begin at 8.30 p.m. and last for three hours. Uh, guests are encouraged to bring lawn chairs, sleeping bags, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. For more information, look up Holy City of the Wichita's on Facebook or call 580-429-3361. I mean, if you can even find any myrrh that's not sold out. Mm -hmm. It's my special day. There's a lot of uh, uh, supply chain problems with myrrh right yeah, now. So. Yeah, just bring some gold. <laughs> I prefer frankincense. Frankincense, that works. It's perfectly acceptable. Yes. <laughs> and if nothing else, just take your drum and bang out a solo a la... Little drummer uh, boy. Yeah, well, or Neil Pert, <laughs> whoever. <laughs> Carly, what's your event? So I could sit here and tell you all about the Mountain Goats, that their band name was pulled from the Screamin' Jay Hawkins song, Yellow Coat, that up until 2002, they recorded all of their albums on a cassette deck boombox, or that they've worked with tons of great collaborators like Tolson Annie Clark, a.k.a. St. Vincent. But for diehard fans of the indie band, all of that is probably old news. What you might not know is that they're playing at the Vanguard in Tulsa on April 8th. Tickets are $40 in advance and $45 the day of. It's a penance, really, for an evening of middle-aged, genre-defying, rhapsodic revelry. Go to thevanguardtulsa.com for more info. That's a good music venue. I definitely thought we were going to get some actual mountain goat I did facts. Too. Yeah. Sorry. I was just so, I, to be honest, I was so disappointed that it wasn't actual mountain goats that I was just, I just couldn't. Uh, it's just indie right. rockers. Sorry. <laughs> My best friend loves that band, so. Well, he should go. They should, he or she, she should go. To it should go. <laughs> Yes, tell your friend it should go to that concert. Maybe. I, I, will, I will tell it that. Greg, <laughs> what's you? What's your event this uh, week? My, this week's event is the second Saturday architecture tour put on by the Tulsa Foundation for Architecture. Uh, they hold these every month, and even if you aren't particularly fascinated by architecture, you should go because this month's theme is the Blue Dome District Brothels, Bootleggers, and Beyond. Oh, cool. You're not just learning about joists and Doric columns at these walking tours. You're getting a practical history lesson that shows you why there's a trapdoor and where they hid the booze. And as a parent of children, I need to study the ingenious scallywags of our past in order to prevent the ingenious scallywags of my present from getting into even more trouble. <laughs> Tickets are $15 for members and $20 for not yet members, but kids 12 and under, 
if you're willing to educate them on such chicanery, uh, can get in free. Visit TulsaArchitecture.org for more information. We went on one of those tours one time, and we had a ball. That was great. Like, they're so fun. Yeah. I Everyone should go do one of those. The walking tours in Tulsa are, are uh, Tulsa's a great town to walk through. It is. And know, it's got and, and so many cool stories. And this is a really good time of year to go, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure. That's This is the time of year that we went, as I recall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We went to in Tulsa. April. Really good times. Yeah. Well, uh, the sound of a lot of bathtub gin going down the pipes to avoid Johnny Law <laughs> means that this episode of the Oklahoma Today podcast is coming to a close. But if you can't get enough, head to oklahomatoday.com and pick up our latest issue on newsstands right now. Send your feedback to OKTPod at travelok.com, and we will talk to you again next week. The Oklahoma Today podcast is a production of Oklahoma Today magazine and Oklahoma Tourism and Recreation Department. Your hosts are Oklahoma Today editors Nathan Gunner, Greg Elwell, Carly Ivara, Megan Rossman, and Ben Lucian. Theme song editing and production helped by Oklahoma Today's production manager, Bridget Sloan. For more information, visit oklahomatoday.com. Goodbye. I've I listened almost to so started many. clapping. <laughs> <laughs> Good for us. We did it! Good for us. Yay! Yay!